This episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by Securit Gun Safes. The gun safe industry has lost touch with what owners really need, but Securit is changing the game. Their products meet the highest industry standards and are trusted by law enforcement agencies, military personnel, and gun owners across the country. What sets Securit apart is the focus on customization and adaptability. The cradle grid technology allows you to customize the layout of your gun safe to fit your specific firearms, and the modular design lets you add or remove components as your needs change. And the best part? Securit offers a variety of gun safes to choose from so you can find the perfect fit for your collection. Whether you need a compact hidden gun safe for your bedside or a large gun cabinet to store your entire collection, Securit has you covered. Securit's Fastbox hidden gun safes are designed for quick and easy access and can be mounted in a variety of locations for maximum flexibility. And unlike traditional gun safes that are heavy and difficult to move, these products are lightweight and easy to install. Don't settle for a one-size-fits-all gun safe that doesn't meet your needs. Head over to SecuritGunStorage.com to learn more and to order your own in innovative gun storage solutions today. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by Yukonupa. Every great hunter knows the best partners have four legs. Yukonupa is one of the only foods on the planet designed specifically with athletes like hunting dogs in mind. They are all about helping your hunting dog perform at their best. With over 50 years of experience, they've fine-tuned and crafted their recipes to meet the highest standards of each individual dog's needs. Here's what sets Yukonupa apart from the rest. Their commitment to sustainability and animal welfare. With every bag of Yukonupa pet food, you can feel confident knowing you're providing your hunting dog with optimal nutrition while supporting a company that prioritizes animal welfare and the environment. And as outdoorsmen, there's almost nothing more important. Don't let your hunting partner be held back by subpar nutrition. Give them the fuel they need to succeed with Yukonupa. Visit yukonupa.com to learn more. So you think obedience is the key to everything that I see in all these top rated gun dogs, duck dogs? Let's take Slash, for example. He's, he's, he's a stud in the field, right? Water and dry land. And oh, you're yeah. saying obedience is the basis of all that. 100%. To have a good hunting dog, you got to have a good obedient dog. You know, if you want to have a, anything from a blind retrieve to a retrieve in the decoys to, you know, you got to hang out in that boat to wait to go get that retrieve. So... That all comes down to your basic obedience. And we tell, I try to tell everybody that at the beginning of every, before the hunting season starts, work on obedience. That'll help you get through the fall, 100%. You, you obedience, agree with that, Obedience, Raylan? obedience. Oh, 100%. You know, in order to have, just like Andrew said, to have that hunting dog, you need that obedient dog. Whether you're in the field or out of the field, you want that dog to be good in the house. And then when you're outside ready to go hunting, it's that hunting dog that you want, but it's also obedient. So... When the dog's not obedient, you get to in a situation, what are you supposed to do as far as, do you let people know like, hey, you need to, you need to tighten up like this if the dog's <laughs> squealing a bunch, if the dog's nonstop up and down the blind. Um, you know, some guys even go as far as putting dogs in pit blinds with guns leaning up against the walls. There's no chance for a mistake. There never can be, right? There's always a chance. I shouldn't say there isn't, but you got you have to prohibit that as much as you can. And with a, a you know a, a dog that's not obedient, your chances for a mistake go way up, in my opinion. So when you get in a situation as a professional dog trainer, 
have you become kind of bougie about dogs? Do you get kind of critical about dogs and you get around one that might not necessarily be up to your standards? Are you supposed to tell that gun dog owner, like, look, that's we, we can't have that going on. Is that the kind of duck hunter you're going to be or the kind of duck dog owner you're going to be to where you're going to let people know, like, you need to improve in these areas or that dog shouldn't be in the blind? Right. So 100%. So like me, I mean, I don't try to be rude about it, but I definitely try to say something to them. Just because picture you're in a pit blind, right? If that dog's running up and down, not only the dog getting hurt, but I mean, everybody's life's in danger, in my in my opinion. You hear all these war stories, horror stories of, you know, a gun falling over and going off. You know what I mean? So I, I try to tell them, like, hey, can you, you know, at least just grab a leash and tie your dog off. Um, and, um, you know, or in, in the duck boat, you know, you can't have that dog running around back and forth up and down duck boat especially if it's a little choppy out you know what i mean it's gonna be rocking that boat tip over whatever not even involving a gun um so yeah so i try to um you know tell people like hey it's you know the way i like to explain it is it is money to get your dog trained whether it's with me or brad or anybody um but you're going to better that dog's life so everybody looked if if your dog's not trained they got it chained out to a tether outside or a leash outside or whatever that case may be. And then you're, you're like, God, I don't really want to bring that dog because it's going to yank on the leash. It's going to pull me around. It's going to drag me around. Um, but by having it trained, you're giving that dog a way better life. They can go off leash. They can run around. You're going to have control of that dog coming back. Um, when you get into an environment with more people, kids, other dogs, your dog's going to be well-respected. Like last night we were grilling and Slash is just hanging out on the place board. He knows he has to be there. He's being patient, but yet he gets to be with us, but he's not running around, knocking the table over, knocking, you had all your food out there. I mean, if you had a dog out of control, they'll be jumping up on that table trying to grab a burger. You know what I mean? Um, so that's why having like Slash, he just hung out last night. He wasn't trying to steal any food. He wasn't trying to jump on the trailer or the table. Um, he was just chilling out with us. Do you, when you say train a dog for obedience, you, you know, can get him into a service like Wild Acre or Mossy Pond, you, you know, offers but what if you don't want to give your dog up for any amount of time Raylan? like is there is there steps or andrew that you can take as a dog owner how much time do you have to put into obedience is it two hours a day does it start when the puppy is eight weeks old does it start when he or she is six months old how does obedience start in having a well you know a well-mannered dog well to, i mean obviously obedience starts at eight weeks of age you know teaching sit lie down going into your crate potty training um so obedience starts at you know eight weeks of age um but to, if you want to train your dog on the you know by yourself without a trainer i mean there's tons of platforms out there to help you guide through that um but literally all you need to do is take 15 minutes a day now every day you can't start on a monday and then go on a wednesday and then maybe on a saturday every day 10 to 15 minutes of just working on obedience and within eight weeks you should have that dog solid solid 10 as 15 10 to 15 minutes a day so an obedience program can be done in eight weeks two months 15 minutes a day to have that dog ready to go to the next level of being a well-mannered gun dog now that's doing it every day correct yep and you should have it you should have it um introduced i mean it should be collar trained it should know its place heel sit lie down um kennel everything in that in that eight weeks if you stay on it um but like i can't i can't stress it where if you're doing it like you have those classes out there that are once a week every wednesday you come and you can bring your dog in and then we'll teach you what to do and then you go home and do the homework well the problem is is everybody 
goes home, they don't do that homework, and then they're like, oh, crap, it's Wednesday again. We got class again, and we didn't do nothing with the dog. Where If you want to do it yourself, you just got to set away 10 or 15 minutes and your dog and, and go off of a platform or call a trainer. You know, we're up, you can always call me. We're always here to help. Um, and we can walk you through it and guide it. Uh, but 10 or 15 minutes every day for seven to eight weeks, your dog should be solid. Raylan, how do you see it going down as far as obedience goes when one of your clients talks about, um, you know, what are the expectations of a dog? Talk a little bit about do we expect too much out of a dog? How do we know that that dog's going to be able to learn? Do you guys ever get in situations where you get a dog that's not teachable and coachable? And then go into how important this is to the overall safety and health of that dog. Because a lot of people, you know, they would hear somebody like me, you know, ask you a question about being too critical. Mm-hmm. And like, hey, that dog squeals too much or that dog's breaking too much. I, it's a big part of that is safety for the dog. It's not just us. I do. Don't get me wrong. It is. It is very important to be safe when there's loaded guns around, no matter what situation you're in. But there's also a lot of stories out there of the dog getting hurt or worse. So talk a little bit about that. Is every dog trainable? And if not, do you, what do you do with them? Do you have to ever tell the owners of these dogs like, Hey, they're just not getting it. This might be a waste of your money. Or had you guys see that pretty consistently across the board, most dogs for the most you know for the most part are trainable and teachable so i would say i mean i always say to my puppy owners a dog is an investment so when you get a puppy you know andrew you know you work that obedience for 15 minutes a day and it starts at eight weeks i send my puppy so i'm seven to eight weeks old a dog is an investment it's just like a car so you need to be consistent and to have a good dog it's on the owner so the owner has to be able to be trainable to train the dog you know dogs rely on us for a lot of things to take care of them to give them preventative to feed them to let them out so it's on us to set our standards so high to make sure our dogs are you know they're being safe and that they're learning all their obedience because if we're not teaching our dog you know the proper obedience lessons you know coming when called or say you're in a situation you're at a dog park um which i Andrew and I can agree that we're just against dog parks Um, but other people they go there they let their dogs run so if you're at a dog park if you're not controlling your dog because you know say you didn't send your dog off to a trainer um, it's not obedience trained and it's reactive so it's reacting to another dog that's on the owner so it's the safety of the dog so I would say you know if we get a dog or something and it's just you know it's being a little bit more difficult which we do get you know they need a little bit of extra time but I believe 100% it falls back onto the owner it's the owner that you know, they're, they let their guard down a little too early or they're letting the dog walk all over them. The dogs, it's in their blood to be trained. doesn't matter the breed, if it's a Cocker Spaniel, a Great Dane, a Lab or anything, but it's on the owner 100% where, you know, if that dog's misbehaving, it's on the owner because it's not trained properly. I believe every dog is trainable. Some just take a little bit of extra time. You know, our classes range from six weeks, eight weeks to 10 weeks. Um, but if that dog, you know, had prior to the you know we send a dog off they get to us at like eight months old or something and if that owner wasn't consistent and didn't set rules for that dog and we like to call them naughty dogs um it's going to take a little bit of extra time but that's on the owner but i believe every dog is trainable they're just more difficult but it falls back on the owner you know at the end of the day it's the owner's fault in a sense if that dog has not had any rules prior to coming to a facility you know just like andrew talked about you know those puppy classes you know, there's no consistency there. So if the owner is trying to train the dog at home, you know, one to two times a week, life happens, life gets busy. Um, You know, you have football, you have volleyball, your daughter has soccer or dance or anything. You know, it's important that you're just staying consistent. If you're not consistent at home and then you send your dog off to a trainer, you have to 
set your dog up for success, just like you set your kids up for success in a sense, if that kind of makes sense. No, it does big time. So is it okay to go out in the blind once this obedience, the, the owner gets it there? You go out in the blind and you see that your dog's not ready for that part of it, right? There's a lot more that goes into getting that dog ready for that first gunshot or that barrage of gunshots and only going with one gun at a time at the very beginning and only shooting at a single or a pair and not overwhelming the dog. I get all that. But do you guys ever get in the place to where this dog's not even ready to go to that next level because he's not catching on to the obedience because you're putting him in a training scenario out in the field and all of a sudden you see something like, wait a minute. He's not doing what he was taught to do. We got to go back a couple steps and reiterate that before you move on to that step. 100%. 100%. So, you know, a lot of guys, you know, they get this dog seven, eight months old. They're excited. They want to take it out hunting. They're just jacked because they waited so long to take that dog out hunting. And they're like, me and Clay were talking about this yesterday, where um, when you're out there hunting, a couple things. So, if you're out there hunting and you're not getting anything with a young dog, nothing's going on, you're not getting anything, it's okay to go put your dog back in the truck. You're, you're, you're boring the dog in a sense. Or if it's freezing cold and the dog's just sitting there shivering and you're not killing anything, nothing's going on, um, same thing. Go put it back in the truck and or bring a dummy with you. You know, use it as a training opportunity. You know, kind of what we went over yesterday. Um, but it it's to bring that dog out there and let's go to behavioral now so let's say you get the dog out there and it's just like you're like ready to pull your hair out you know what i mean because it's the dog's just not listening don't try to correct it out there just take the time you might ruin your duck hunt but go back put the dog in the truck and then continue on your hunt without the dog go home and write down you know i have notes all over the place write down what their problems were and then go work on that you might have to go back out to that spot you were hunting to train um but if it's public water or wherever you can go out there anytime you want and go train um but don't sit there and try to fit, fight it because you you know that dog's excited just as you are so they're going to be confused so go back always go back to obedience go back to your basics rework on it and then try it again and a lot of times like me personally um we have a new dog dubs that's uh, pretty pretty special to me um and um he's gonna he's gonna be something special so but with dubs he um he didn't go on one hunting trip last year not one and um i mean i shouldn't say that so we, we didn't let him retrieve on any hunting trips um his first year i just made him watch made him hang out and then that was it i didn't want him to get excited and break or whine or anything so he um just was in training and he had to watch the other dogs do it and then that was it so we let him do that first year so when is a good time, you think? Do you base it on, obviously, each individual dog is different, but, you know, I've had dogs where they don't really get in the hunt scenario until they're three. Correct. Now, that's not normal because some of our dogs stay on the trailer and they're trying to get as many titles as they possibly can, and we're not putting them in that hunting scenario yet. But is it good to hunt an eight-month-old lab? Is it is there, is there a time period that you would tell a client, like, don't even plan on hunting this dog until he's, he or she's at least a year old. I mean, I know you guys get in those scenarios because what you said okay. is the anticipation, the excitement, the adrenaline. Like, I got a new puppy. I've seen so many people. I was just with Chris Aiken the other day, and somebody was picking up a puppy from his kennel in Arkansas. And you could just see the look on the guy's face of getting that dog in the truck and what the future is going to hold. Correct. So what do you tell that guy? Like, do not hunt this dog until when? 
So what I try to do is obviously you're not going to, no matter what you try to tell somebody, usually they're going to take the dog out hunting. So what I try to really, really push is literally there's game farms all over the place. I don't know if you guys have them here in Reno, Nevada, but um, where I come from, I mean, we have three within 45 minutes of my house. Where when you go to a game farm, you're not working on duck hunting. You're not working on, you know, steadiness and all that kind of stuff but you're working on using the nose, you're working on retrieving, um, but you can get comfortable running that dog. Where I'm not saying to go out there every single solitary weekend, you know, get as many birds killed as that dog as you can, but just go out maybe two or three times to a game farm, shoot, just do some upland hunting, and um, just you get comfortable running that dog. Because once you get comfortable running that dog and you're working on obedience at home, now, after the next year when the dog turns two now you feel comfortable when you go out into that duck boat so what i'm trying to get at is a lot of people get this dog at you know a lot of our customers this is their first time ever having a dog so now they're going out now they're they're setting up decoys they're they're in a boat there's three other guys in the boat you know that's not a normal condition and now they're nervous and they're they're trying to they're like when you get they get out there they're like they don't know what to do when the dog's making a mistake you know what i'm saying um because they're kind of just confused so get out there learn your dog before you go out hunting if that kind of makes sense so when you're going through this raylan and correct me if i'm wrong but you don't come from a, a training background right no you, you come from a dog family at all did you grow yes. up with duck hunters that had labs and, and sporting dogs we've had labs but waterfowl is completely new to me since i moved to minnesota i mean we do like deer hunting you know we shoot coyotes we do stuff like that so when i met andrew that's when i first got into like waterfowl hunting and upland and everything like that shed hunting so this is like a whole new world to me which i absolutely love so when you talk about this part of this dog's life and we talked about a little last night touched on the new puppy pro Mm -hmm. um you don't come from a duck dog background but you do come from a dog ownership background and family dogs what have you seen in this new era of science and biology and what Yukonub is putting in to this formula that starts a dog's life, right? Like mm-hmm. they have the 30-20, right? The performance that we've been feeding. And they, you know, at first it was like feed this from beginning to end, but then they come out with puppy performance mm-hmm. and there's different attributes and benefits of this feed. What are you seeing as a whole? Because you guys don't just train hunting dogs. You train pets, yep. you train obedience for all different types of breeds yep. it's not just labs or golden retrievers right so what what would you tell you know somebody i'm not trying to hard sell any food but there is something special about this puppy performance right yep so i guess like going back you know i'll just go back to when i get customers of my puppies so um customers are always asking me what do you feed the puppy you know i'm looking to buy my dog food and i'm not a salesperson i'm not trying to sell this person uh, on yuka or anything but I will only feed my dog and I will only use products that I support 100%. So before I moved here, um, I was on a different brand of food. My dog had gastro issues. Andrew's like, you need to try this dog food. So I switched to Yukonuba. Instant success. I mean, the gastro issues are gone. The shedding's decreased. The nails are hard. The science behind Yukonuba is insane. You know, you have to think about like when you put in your body, you want to make sure whatever you put in your body is helping your body. So it's the same with a dog and going back to the investment part. So your dog's an investment. You don't want to feed them dog food that has a low grade nutritional value, doesn't have all the supplements. So when my customers customers are asking me, what dog food do you use? Well, Puppy Pro, obviously. I mean, that's like my go-to. Before the Puppy Pro, it was just the the Yukonuba large breed puppy. Um, but, you know, with the supplements that are in the Puppy Pro, you know, the glucosamine, 
you're going to give that dog that supplement until they're 15 to 16 years old, so the end of their life. You know, it's super important, especially with working dogs, that they have that hip and joint supplement. But um, the digestive health, that's super, super important just because your dogs are getting into things. Whether they're obedient or not, they're getting into things all the time. But the nutritional value in the Yukonuba is the selling point for me. Yes, you get more bang for your buck and there are cheaper brands and that's great if someone chooses to not feed Yukonuba, that's fine. Like I said, I'm not a salesperson, but I fully back what I give my dogs, what we give our kennel dogs, our personal dogs, and all of our puppies. And I've just noticed that, you know, their drive is a little bit higher. They're, um, you know, they recover more when those puppies are running around in the basement or I have them outside, they're chasing these clipped wings, they're chasing the, you know, they're finding the sheds. They recover better with that puppy pro, you know, they, it's just, uh, you know, they're more active on it, I guess. The puppy, the large breed puppy is great. I absolutely love it. You know, I give that to the owners that are not going to have working dogs but you know the science behind that puppy pro is phenomenal just like i said with that joint and hip supplement or the joint and then hip supplement the dasiquin um that's you know a pill you can give but it's already in that nutritional value for the formula so what you want to give your dog is the best quality food to ensure that you're giving them the longevity of a good life and the owner picks this dog up at let's say four six eight months from the from wild acre Mm -hmm. how long do you tell that owner that he or she can feed the puppy pro what age is that dog be and still be eating what we call the puppy pro i tell them a year so after a year switch to an adult food obviously do your transition you know your 75 percent puppy food 25 percent adult food and then pick a formula that works for your dog so if you don't have a working dog go to a lower grade calorie like calorie formula so if you have a working dog like in our kennel we feed the 30 20 um, during the in-season and then the off-season, we do the 26-16. So we switch formulas, but pick out a formula that works for your dog. And Andrew, would you back that up with the Puppy Pro from, you've been in the game, you've ran a lot of dogs on waterfowl hunts, pheasant hunts, upland hunts, wild, and you know the operations in places like South Dakota, North Dakota. I've known you for quite a few years now, so you know your way around dogs. Do you put your stamp of approval on the Puppy Pro? Oh yeah, 100%. That was a... Uh... That was a game changer when we got our hands on that, 100%. Um, absolutely, absolutely love that stuff. And we'll pay the extra money for it because, like Ryan was saying, it's it's an investment. You know, these dogs are, you know, hopefully around for 10 to 15 years. So if you can get an, even an extra year out of them, I'll pay the money all day long. I mean, I'm saying that's a crazy amount of money, but it is a little bit more. Um, but it's just like, are you going to go and eat something off the dollar menu every day? Or are you going to try to, you know, for yourself, or are you going to try to, you know, eat a salad or something the chicken or something that's healthier for you than going to mcdonald's every day 100 percent. i'm reading on this right now game changing puppy food for sporting breeds puppy pro right so the it's exactly what you were touching on about recovery and working dogs right so Mm -hmm. puppies do really two things they eat and they sleep right besides (laughs) going to the bathroom but they grow fast and they grow fast and the science is put in everything that that the thermal injury energy the digestive part of it the skin part of it the gums the teeth the, mm-hmm. everything that goes into ensuring that that dog is growing the right way has been seeked out and thought of by the science in Yukonuba. um i've seen it with izzy you know she's just on fire mm-hmm. um as far as her performance her her ability to perform her her drive like you touched yeah. on um i think that that's the main thing that i've seen 
with you know the last five or six years with the Yukonuba diet is happy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think the drive comes, but if the dog's not happy, the drive isn't there. They might have it for a second, but these I'm talking like they're ready to go at yeah. all times because they're feeling good. They're feeling good all the time, hundred percent. And like another thing, like with Yukonuba, like I said, me and Raylan, we don't we don't get paid from Yukonuba, and what i really like about you can but what i've learned is they care okay like we're saying before is we only use products that we we think are perfect and you can they they nobody realized but they spend a lot of time and money and waste a lot of money to get that that the best of the best food as they possibly can and to me that's amazing you know they they don't if there's a if they have a bad product that's coming out in the mill or wherever they're cooking it um, they will literally just throw it away and start over. It's a great formula. And just they, they care about their product just like we care about our kennel. And that's, um, you know, that, that's what means a lot to us. I think that the DHA, this is something that I want people to look up. Um, and we've talked about this too, is, you know, the, the overall brain function of a dog, right? Um, whether it's personality, whether it's intelligence, whether it's memory, mm-hmm. all of this goes into having a, a high level dog. Not every dog is gonna be a grandmaster champion or a master mm-hmm. hunter. They don't need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a pleasure to hunt with in most cases, a lot of the dogs <laughs> that, I've, that I've had the honor of hunting with, but promotes trainability in puppies. That's a really big deal of, and it's not just, it's not just wool being pulled over your eyes, trainability like we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation being coachable and mm-hmm. teachable whether you're a human being or a dog if yes. you're not coachable or teachable you're going to be behind the eight ball for a lot of things that you endure in life whether you're a dog Correct. or a human mm-hmm. being so i think that that it's very important that the consumer the end user has an idea that when they do go home from wild acre and you guys are promoting this and i'm sure your success rate your, your ratio and, and odds of the of the owner staying on Yukonuba are very high, right? Oh, absolutely. Very high, so. Because, because of what you tell them. They're yeah. taking your word as the gospel. Yeah, so pretty much, I mean, I could pull up my phone right now. With, well, just in the phone, like within five minutes, I could find about 21 text messages of, uh, hey, where can I get the Yukonuba? Um, so we actually have been going through more um, where we'll we'll tell people, like, hey, you can, you can buy a bag from us when you pick up your dogs you have it you know what i mean because for a while there you know it is kind of sometimes it is tough to get because everybody wants it but um um we have per i'm gonna say so out of let's say 100 percent dogs probably 80 percent of those people are on yukonuba now that after they leave us same with the puppies too just like, like touching base on the the trainability i've noticed a huge difference in like when i send these puppies home i would say 95% of my puppy owners are sticking with Yukonuba. Um, the only reason that they are not sticking with it is because they just can't find it. And then I usually end up ordering it for them and then they just pick it up at our house. But I've noticed a huge difference. So I do like crate training, potty training, um, puppy culture, mental stimulation on all my puppies. And I've noticed a huge difference on that puppy pro just because they're remembering more. So I leave like a crate in the the puppy whelping room. I leave it in there all day and then I let my puppies out. I'm doing my office work. And they know like, okay, this is a, this is my safe place. So they go in there and they're not scared. So I start all my puppies on that. And I just started this within the last three years um, just because I had a lot of puppy owners like, hey, do you start crate training? Do you start potty training? Like, do you do puppy culture? 
Um, do you get like your puppies used to like different textures and things like that? And Sounds, I just vacuums. Yeah, I desensitize all my puppies from household noises, and I've noticed a huge difference with this Puppy Pro that you know they're learning a lot faster. You know, they see that vacuum. You know, if I'm doing my chores, they're not like, oh, what's that? They're like, oh, this is kind of fun. You know, I'm just ignoring that sound or, oh, the crate's open and I have a blanket in there. I'm going to go in there and sleep. So I have puppies go in there and sleep and they just remember that, you know, as I'm training them, they're like, okay, this isn't so bad. So they do remember a lot more. I've noticed on this puppy pro, um, you know, I'll hide like little wings or sheds or something around like our basement where our puppy room is and they're sniffing them out. You know, they're finding them. Whereas, you know, they're before the puppy pro they're just running around playing being puppies but i've noticed that they're just learning a lot faster and at a like more progressive rate with that puppy pro yeah i i've heard it from too many people that think that it's not the the truth i mean it's it really does pay dividends and there's a big difference in the dogs that are started on the puppy pro and mm-hmm. then brought up through the diets that you know the adult diets that you offers is there such thing andrew as too much drive in a sporting dog in your opinion no um as long as as long as, as, long it, as it can be controlled control correct? and obedient so um like me personally um we just bought a dog from or dubs he we imported him from overseas he's a british lab so we imported him and the breeder over there calls and says hey which you know he was kind of giving me the option he goes which one do you want i'm like well obviously i did my homework i looked at the bloodlines i'm choosing you it doesn't matter which puppy you give me I'm going to make it, it's, you know, all the sciences, the homework, everything is there. It should be good. And, um, but I go, if I had a choice, I go, whatever one doesn't sleep, send that one to me. <laughs> and the reason why I like to do that is because I know he's going to be the most active and I can get control of that. You know, if this one constantly sleeping in the back corner, um, that one could be, you know, when it gets home, it could be more of a lazier dog. Where same thing when I bought Slash for you. When we picked him up, um, I told Mike, he goes, which one do you want? I go, the one that doesn't sleep. That's kind of my motto because the way I look at it is everybody goes, how do you know which puppy to pick out? And to me, it's you should have that done before you even go pick up your puppy. You should have your bloodlines, your pedigrees. You should have all that research done before you pick out, you know. Then when you go to the breeder, you, could, you should just be able to grab one and go and then take it home from there. You should have your homework done before you get that puppy. But um, that's kind of the way I like to do that. Absolutely. Do you think there's too much drive in any of your dogs? Do the does Slash wear you out? You say that last mm-hmm. night you referred to my dog or the dog you're trying to steal. <laughs> um, you referred to him as very needy. I like that about him. And he's the perfect dog. You know, he respects us. We respect him. And going back on what Andrew said, you know, you can always you know, take the drive out of them, but it's really hard to put it into him. And, you know, when we're, we don't ever pick out our own puppies when we import dogs, just like Slash, like he's absolutely perfect. But when you're picking a breeder, you know, you do your research, you know, you know your pedigree, you know your bloodline. What are you going to use for that dog? What job is that dog going to have? So just like with our puppies, we don't have owners pick out their own puppies. So I do like aptitude testing. So I match puppies with families based on their lifestyle wants, needs, and what they're looking for. So if you come to me and say, I want a black lab male, say this is before Slash, and I'm going to ask you, what are you going to use this dog for? Like, is it just going to be a house dog? Is it going to be a hunting dog? What kind of drive do you want? Do you want a crazy dog that's zoomies all the time with more of an on switch than an off switch? Or do you just want more of a house dog so you can, you know, if you work out all the time, so you can just walk this dog or go for a three mile run And then I do my notes for seven to eight weeks and I'm writing down everything like 
okay, blue collar, black lab male is more of an on switch than an off switch. Um, he has more of a independent personality or do you want more of a dominant dog or do you want more of a submissive dog? And if you say you want, you want like the crazy one, um, you want the dog that has the super high drive, you're going to be doing a lot of hunting with him. You're going to want more of an on switch than an off switch. So you can take it out of them if it's too much for you with that obedience training in time. Um, but like I said, it's hard to put that drive into a dog if they're just, I mean, it's, you have to look at your pedigree. You have to look at your bloodline. And when you pick a breeder, you're trusting them already to produce good puppies. So you should trust them to pick out the puppy that matches your lifestyle 100%. Like I always tell customers, like when they bring me the dog, I go, you, you brought me the car, you brought me the engine, I got all the oil, every, the fuel, but you didn't bring me the transmission, I, I got nothing. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of make sense where oh, yeah. I got a, but if you give me the car, the motor, the transmission, everything, now I get it, then that's where I just get it fine-tuned and we get it to max horsepower. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of what Rayon's trying to say there is, is um, you know, there is some dogs that we have to, you know, we have to fail not on obedience um obedience you should never have to fail on that but you know on that bird drive that want we see it all the time where the dogs just aren't into it you know they don't they don't have that they don't have that drive and um they don't have that they're missing that transmission of that you know that's kind of the way it is what are some of the signs that you can see besides not sleeping but let's talk about once that dog that doesn't sleep is in training what are some of the signs that you can start to pick up on as a trainer that this dog has it or he or she doesn't does that question make sense oh yeah 100 percent. so you know a lot of it too is back to the owners so we'll get dogs that come in that have full potential to be the best dog you could ever imagine but the people were afraid to mess it up so they didn't they didn't throw it a retrieve so when i get the dog at seven eight months old they or five months old to gun break it they never once threw it a retrieve so now this dog is hyper out of control. Like it has all the the want to go do something, but we throw a bird out and it looks at us like, what what do you, that doesn't know what it wants us to do. So when you get that puppy, get it retrieving, get it love retrieving, make it a drug to the dog. Now don't overdo it. You don't need to go out there and throw a retrieve to a dog 17 times in a row. I'm talking four or five retrieves and then put it away. You put that dog away wanting more. Um, so when you get into the training facility, we shouldn't have a problem. That dog should love retrieving and that want to go get that retrieve so that we can we can get it going. But now to answer kind of your question, where we get that dog in that, you know, the people from Puppy On try to get retrieving it, but it just never really showed any interest in it, then that one's gonna be really tough to get through that program. Now we can force fetch a dog, we could teach a dog, hey, you gotta go pick it up, hey, you gotta bring it back. But and the way I look at it is I want that dog to want to go do that, not have to go do that, if that makes sense. So we want we try to train that dog that, hey, you do have to go there, you have to pick it up and you have to bring it back. You know, there are rules that is obedient, but I want you to also want to, like Sash, every time you, right now you go throw 30 dummies for him, he's gonna be just <laughs> ecstatic to go get those 30 dummies for you, but he knows he has to go out there, he has to pick it up and he has to bring it back. What do you think the reason is, um, I've seen some high drive dogs that don't enter the water. Like Slash goes into the water hard. Yep. Axel goes medium. Duff goes medium. But they're they're both high energy dogs, right? They'll go all day long. What do you think it is about that water entry when it comes? Is it just something that's bred into them? You think that they either got it or they don't, or is it? Can it? Can you teach that? Or because again, I've seen high drive dogs that don't just go with reckless abandon into the water, and I'm not saying that they have to to be a good dog. 
Right. But that desire to enter that water, again, there's safety aspects of that training, hunting, making sure that you check it, whether you're when you're laying out your decoys, make sure that you're checking for any objects that are going to be, you know, detrimental to this dog as he or she enters that area of water. But what do you think that is all about is that some high drive dogs just do not go right. into the water hard. To me, that's just that dog itself, where some dogs just to me you're smarter like why go run into a brick wall you know what i'm saying um so like so axel and duff you know that's just those dogs themselves um where we have five six dogs we have six dogs of our own where um veda and dubs will launch 15 feet in the air into that water um where slash he doesn't get in the air but he runs into their hard um where our dog Jaeger he tippy toes into the water does that kind of make sense so right. I just feel like to answer that question it's just that dog itself and just what what their personality is going to be to want to go and hit that water um but it has nothing to do to me I mean yes it could be genetically passed down like was the mom and dad a hard charger in the water um you know that could be obviously be a reason why where if the mom and dad weren't a hard charger or the great grandma grandpa weren't a hard charger then you know one of those dogs probably aren't going to be a hard charger where if the mom and dad like dubs i know dubs dad launches in there into the water like dubs literally is like looks like it's not but it looks like it's 15 feet in there i mean he's sailing and then we'll just com- completely go down in the water um where i know his dad's like that so you know it is a little bit to me i feel like it is genetically passed down on how that dog's gonna hit that water Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by Oakley. Guys, let's talk about something important, protecting your eyes. Whether you're hitting the field and stream or just heading to work, you need eyewear that provides clarity, protection, and the style you need. Visit oakley.com to find the perfect pair for you. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Lear. Keeping your gear safe and secure on the road has never been easier than it is with Lear. With innovative features and design like the twist handle locking system and easy lift system, Lear's truck caps and tonneau covers provide added convenience and security for truck owners. And with durable and weather resistant materials and fully customizable options, you can trust Lear to keep your cargo safe and dry no matter where you go. Upgrade your truck today with Lear's top quality accessories. Visit Lear.com now. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Corning Ford. If you're in the market for a new vehicle, look no further than Corning Ford. Their unbeatable selection and dedicated staff make car buying a breeze. With competitive pricing and excellent customer service, you'll drive away in a vehicle you love and peace of mind in a dealership you can trust. Don't forget to mention your favorite podcast sent you when you visit Corning Ford today. Genetically, you talk about, um, you know, different breeds of dogs. Is there a such thing as a good chocolate lab? <laughs> oh, I know exactly where you're going with that. Did I just so, make you mad? No. She looks mad all of a sudden. No. Uh, no. No, so we don't. Uh, now, I'm not saying that if you own a chocolate lab out there right. that your dog isn't good. But for the most part, speaking odds, if you're betting odds like we could in this city right here legally in Nevada, and you go to the sports book, do I double down on a chocolate lab or do I wait until the, the black lab gets up there in the draft? Well, no. So I, I would not let that for to answer that question. I would I would learn the dog if it doesn't matter what color. Um, just that kind of the rule of thumb to answer Chad's thing is a lot of people know chocolate labs. I always like to say have an extra gear. Um, we're the same as a black and a yellow. Um, but to me, chocolate labs when they come into the kennel, I mean, they're I've seen some really good dogs. 
um, that are chocolates. But they just always are you seen, being for real? Or are you making no? That I'm being for real. You've yeah, seen we, one? We, yeah, yes. we've seen a few few good ones, but a few that, out of how many? Oh, I don't know. I would last Saturday was my 14th year doing this, so um, I don't know a lot, but. <laughs> me, I'm a black. I'm not gonna lie. I'm a black and a yellow person. Um, I don't have any chocolates, but I just feel like a, a chocolate has just an extra gear. I don't understand the comment extra gear. That would be good, wouldn't it? It is. Or is it no, extra gear the other way? Extra gear, kind of the kind of extra gear of the other way. Not like the drive to go on to do something, but the the kind of like. I don't even know how to explain. Like, picture them in a kennel. They're, like, losing their mind. You know what I mean? Um, that's kind of what I mean by the extra gear. Um, but chocolates, to me, what I've noticed over my career, like I said, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not any, anything like that. But they seem like they want to whine more in the blind or bark more in the blind. Um, but I've seen some very nice chocolates that I would love to own because of what they're capable of doing. So um, I'm just – I always tell you, know, it's kind of what you're born and raised with. Where I was, mm-hmm. I've always had blacks and – yellows my whole life agree there um but, but there's nothing wrong with a chocolate lab just you got to do your homework get you the, either get the own right them breeding. or you don't that's yep. there's no like gray area the, that's black and white get the get the right breeding yeah um the pedigree that's so would you say that the it. chances of a good predit pedigree and breeding and finding a good line of chocolate labs we've seen it low they're low the odds are low no, there, no, there's good chocolate labs out there. there you are. just have to really do your research. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them um, that sure, I've seen like down south. Yep, I'm pretty sure Brad doesn't. Didn't Brad have a really good chocolate dog at one point? Yeah, pass. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah, they're definitely there's definitely good chocolate labs. Just you I don't have know, to I'm do your research. Do your research. Do your pedigree, and it's not that you know. If I had a good chocolate, I just. I'm just probably like my blacks and yellows. That's just our, our it's preference. A personal. Yeah. But you like know. I said, you just have to really do your research and um, don't go to a breeder just because they have one really good dog and another really good dog doesn't mean it's going to be a phenomenal litter of puppies. You know, just do your research on that pedigree. And that's where you're going to get that great phenomenal dog that you want. They're just a little higher octane. Well, and- a lot of people need to know, too, is they'll go out there and they'll go, oh, my my um my dog is a great hunter which it, it definitely could be and their buddy's dog is a great a great hunter or a great dog and then they breed those two dogs together but they have no pedigree no background 90 percent of the time those dogs don't do well there's no just titles because, or anything just because that that those two dogs did great and you put them together doesn't mean you're going to make great dogs you want to have that proven background so like we'll get calls all the time where um people go i'm like okay the dad's a master hunter or senior hunter or qualified all ages, whatever the case may be. And the guy will tell me, he goes, well, I don't care about any of that. He goes, I'm not, I'm not going to field trial the dog. And I go, no, I get that. But you want that in your, in your line. You want that in your pedigree because that's proven that the dad's done it. The grandma and grandpa's done it um, way back in the line that everybody was a phenomenal dog. And what I mean by that is picture, picture humans going into the hunting world where um, if you weren't born and raised into hunting or weren't introduced at a young age, the odds are, are you at 30, 40 years old getting into hunting? You know, obviously people do it, but it's not as high as the people that have been duck hunting since five years old. You know what I'm saying? So you want that, gen- that um, genetic generations passed down from line to line to line to have that, that extreme hunting dog. So my point is, is most of the dogs you see traveling and you guys just said you are a little bit 
you know, all about the yellows and the blacks. Mm-hmm. I travel all over the country hunting. You very rarely see a chocolate lab. Hunting, owned. That tells me that there's not many real, real strong bloodlines out there, or there would be more. It just seems like for sure, or are the breed, are the, are the, the mom and dad not throwing enough chocolate labs? I, I understand that too. There's DNA that goes into mm-hmm. these dogs to where you can throw yep. certain colors and yep. there'll be, factor, chocolate factor, you know, the factors of all mm-hmm. of the colors, but doesn't that tell you that there's not that many strong lines out there? I'm not saying that chocolate labs are bad. Right. No, Chessie's might be, or Chessie's a good dog. Oh, Chessie's are a stubborn dog. Um, are they trainable? Yeah, if you have a good one. So the Chesapeake's, the the problem with Chesapeake's are, um, don't get me wrong, great duck hunting dog, but they're a one-person independent dog where they're not really um, the best family dog, I would say. They, they like to have one person to tell them what to do, and that's it. They're mm-hmm. kind of, I always call them the old grumpy man. Um, but um, but the, the Chocolate Labs, yeah, you're right. There isn't, uh, we don't see... Like in our kennel right now, I think there's two chocolates there right now. Um, but out of well, how many labs? Of how many labs? I don't even know. We Probably hold like 40 tw- dogs. but I would say like got, almost 30 are labs. So, but then there's only two chocolates. We got, we got silver labs. Um, but what we've been seeing a lot of lately, my last two classes, I've had 14 wire hairs. And, and then we've had silver labs. We've been seeing a lot of wire hairs and a lot of short hairs. Over labs. We've been training more pointers and we have labs the last two groups but that's just not for waterfowl that's for upland yeah they're upland yeah. but yeah just the amount of wire hairs that people are um wanting these days too is is um crazy so what would you guys do you guys breed all certain sorts of breeds as far as is i know that you guys are are offering puppies but yep. your puppies are mainly labs right that you guys yeah. that you guys labs. are selling so we, do, we have two so um, two separate, um, I don't know, you don't want to count businesses, but we have two different like breeding programs. So we have, we have all American labs that are strictly Americans. And then we have all British labs. We never mix them, but the pure imports, they're, they're not like in, the American. They're all British. imported. So we don't, we'll never take us. Not that it's a bad thing to do, but we will never take a British and breed that with an American. To me, that's cross breeding in, in my eyes everybody will argue against me but in my eyes i want to have british is british and american is american i'm a firm believer i just I, i'll always keep that separate i'll never mix that in in our breeding program of what mm-hmm. we're doing so when you're in the lab world are american labs much better than british labs when it comes to duck hunting no um british labs are going to be more calm quiet content they have a huge on and off switch American labs are tend to be a little bit more higher octane. Now it is bred that you know we have a bunch. Of, we have three American um, labs at home, and they have a great off switch. So, um, but your British labs tend to be a little bit smaller, um, more they have a little bit more of on and off switch. But where the the where a lot of people are different on them is a, a British lab is going to be a lot softer mentality where. Um, American lab, like I said, I'm not going to hit dog with a two by four, but you could you could kind of get on them with a two by four, and they're gonna they're gonna keep on wanting that you know go after it. Where a, a British dog would be like, okay, where did I screw up? What did I do wrong? They're gonna way overthink the situation. Um, but British labs, if you import them, I mean, they have a lot of just natural talent, and mm-hmm. that's what I love about them. They're just calmer, like their demeanor. Yeah. 
is just, you know, we have imported three now, and the first one we got was Quill, and it was just night and day difference between an American lab puppy that we got and then a British lab puppy, and, like, she was just calmer in the house. You know, she obviously has the puppy zoomies, but she was just so easy to train as a puppy. You know, she was... It was, like, in her blood to be obedient, like, to be a people pleaser, and I like that about the British. I feel like um, they're just pleasers. You know, they want to be loyal to their owner, where... Americans like you could send them with a stranger most of the time and they'd be fine where like Brit- our British they like know that we're mom and dad and we're the dominant people in the household and we have rules and they are loyal to us but they're loyal to everyone that comes into our house and they were like that as a puppy too you know they didn't jump all over them as a puppy they're the crazy puppy you know whatever you get as a puppy temperament but they were just so much easier as a puppy rather than you know an American lab puppy but our American breeding program they are calmer they're similar to size as the british lab and they're more they have that equal on and off switch as well it's more moderate so our american breeding program is similar to our british we try to we try to anyways but i do a lot of work with those puppies to get them when i send them home to make sure that they have that calmer temperament that they're just loyal the biggest thing is like we're trying to do or get at is like me add constantly moving cannot sit still there's a bunch of things going around in this brain, and where where me, I you know, doing this, and then I'm doing that, and then I'm doing this. There's nothing like kind of organized. Where a British lab would have it all organized, thought through, processed. You know what I'm saying? Where I'm more of an American lab, um, where I'm. Well, let's think about grand champions though in the in the world of dogs. <laughs> when you're talking about coachability and teachability, and you don't have an ADD dog, like <laughs> there's only been like two of them in the whole history of crown champion of grand champions that are british labs right so that tells me that americans american labs are just as obedient and just as teachable oh, and coachable. 100%. yeah 100 now do british labs have that on switch though oh yeah oh yes you can turn it on yes that's that's what a lot of people love about them now like guess the british labs is um they have just as much drive as an american lab but it all comes down to breeding too like just like American labs, you have no. I mean, we have we fail them all the time. British labs, we we can fail them all the time. It all comes back to that breeding. All comes back to no matter if you're talking British or it American, for sure. What, yeah, pedigrees everything. Much, like like my last group of dogs, I had um, we had nine wire hairs. Okay, three of those wire hairs were litter mates, kind of barely made it through. The other ones were, I mean dynamite i mean they were they were uh on the go i mean they were hunting they were hard charging retrieving you know what i mean so they were um you know and that's the same breed but some of them were a little bit more kind of walking around the field whatever where the other one is 900 miles an hour out in the field does that kind of make sense where it's you know it's i like you got to choose that pedigree that um that want to you know to have that background on the dogs to keep them um that generations of pedigree is crucial i don't think i'm done talking about the british versus american yet because there is a mindset that one is better than the other or that our line you know obviously again i'm not talking oh, about no. breeds right now but there is some bouginess to mm-hmm. the 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 mindset in ownership in america right now and you know the way these dogs are trained the way that british dogs are trained as as far as in different you know manners that you train in american lab i just don't know why 
you would ever go British if the proof is in the pudding that American labs are the you know they're they're they they've proven over time that they can get any title they can be trained on any hunt scenario can you really get down with the british lab do you have to take the the credibility and the trust of the training program that you're in do you have to go over there and find the breeders to really learn do you have to go to the uk and find like hey i really want to get down and do a forensic audit of what these dogs breed is or can you trust somebody in america to do that i just it just seems to me that the proof is in the pudding the research has been done all of the evidence is there over time with all of these different breeders and training programs in our country that there's no no reason to ever have a British lab. I'm not saying they're bad. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering why would you ever go outside of that realm when the proof is in the pudding of how awesome there's so many great breeds of American labs in this country. Why would we ever consider a British lab? I've never understood it. I've never I've never gotten it because I've never really hunted with one. So again, I'm being the devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. I just would never choose another dog over Axel or Slash <laughs> or Mo, or I mean, I can name hundreds of them. Right. I would just never even consider it. So it just blows my mind that somebody would say, no, I'm going to go with a British lab because they are. No, they're not. Like to me, I'm like, no, they're not. Like they're not an American lab. Mm-hmm. In looks, maybe they're beautiful. If you, you know, they're blockier in my right. opinion. They're they're more stout in my opinion. Um, I don't know everything about them. So please don't take this as the, the, the final word. But I'm just having a hard time believing that you should ever go outside of America for a lab. No. I think it's either you like it or you don't. It's like you're either a Chevy person or you're a Ford person. Ford. <laughs> well, Ford all the way, obviously. But Which I think, is the American lab. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, you know, you either like it or you don't like it. But I think, um, you know, there's so many great labs in America, American labs. There's so many great breeders out there, so many great pedigrees, bloodlines, and great trainers out there. But a British lab is just something different. And some people just have that mindset where they're stuck on but, it. Like we can't like we've had British labs, too, that I, I won't keep. They were not going to live at my house um, because they're not good. Um, but the same thing goes for Americans where we see a lot of Americans that come through that just don't have it as well, too. But the biggest thing, what I've noticed in the difference between the two, um, I've owned Americans longer than I've owned British. This is British as we were kind of just getting into this, um, is the on and off switch. Where American dog is a little bit more um, like in the house. You know, they're constantly trying to move, constantly trying to wiggle around. You have to work on it more. Kind of. A the, the, lot more obedient has to, obedience has to go into it. With well, the British lab, literally, it's you get in the house and they just shut it down. You get outside and they're 100 miles an hour. But with that being said, is I've seen a lot of British labs that aren't as good, but same goes for um, American labs where, you know, we're in our line of work, like slash bread through the roof, dubs bread through the roof. So it's, you got to have that drive. You got to do your homework. Don't buy the first puppy you see that pops up on your Facebook feed. Research it, study it, call around. And um, no matter if you're buying American or British, you should be able to get yourself on a, your, your hands on a good dog. You know, and, and another thing, what a lot of people, these last couple of letters we've had are for Americans is they don't even care about like health testing anymore. That should be your number one concern. Mm-hmm. Don't, everybody's like, well, I can buy this dog for 500 or we can buy the other ones for 1500. Why would I spend 1500 when I get one for 500? 
well, because you we want to prove that you don't have hip dysplasia, um, you know, any eye problems, you know, we, we do all that clinical testing on every dog. We do hip size, ears, EIC, CNM, um, the DNA P- to the so PRA, PRA DNA testing. Um, so we spend thousands of dollars doing these health testings to hopefully prove that our puppies will be fine. And we've, we've had stuff pop up. Um, our dog, Josie, we spayed, um, or not Josie, um, I can't remember the dog, but we, we spayed her because we knew that we could throw bad puppies and that's not what we wanted not to do. Ethical. Because of her health test. Yep, her, yeah. they didn't come back or they came back fair. Um, so we, we spay them. We're, we're, I don't want to bring that into the world. Um, so when you buy that dog for 500 bucks, you ain't getting health testing and everything. So you could get a dog and it turns two years old and gets hip dysplasia. Bottom line is you have to research. When you get hip dysplasia, that that dog for the rest of its life can't run. No, never. It can't. You have to let it. So what? Why would you? Hey, why do you want to breed that? Um, But, you know, you don't want to own a dog like that for, it could be for 16 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bob, Bob, our friend that we were talking about with guiding, he has two dogs. We boarded. He was snow, snow goose hunting, and they're 16 years old right now. So you can imagine if you got a dog at two years old, that hip dysplasia, and now you have to live with that. You know, obviously you're not going to get rid of the dog. But for the next how many years, 14 years or 10 years or whatever it is of having a dog with hip dysplasia would be be tough. Not just tough, but it's not good for, it's not yeah. fair for the dog. Not, yeah, that's what no, I'm trying to get at. It's, the dog's not, not comfortable yeah. at all. Spend the, like I said, and a lot of breeders is this because, you know, our price might be a little bit higher. It's not because we're trying to make a bigger profit. It's, um, you know, we just have a lot more into it. Stud fees, travel fees, you know, Brad Arrington, we're, we're not a fuel trial kennel, but, you know, Brad, you should see his bills on fuel for going from hunt test to hunt test, hotels, you know, all that stuff gets figured into them studs. And, um, you know, you got to you gotta understand all that. You pay for what you get. The work that goes into just breeding an American lab litter, it's crazy, you know, obviously the health testing, um, the training on the parents, because we want to make sure that, you know, we can prove to you that these dogs are what we say they are. We're not just saying, oh, yeah, they're a guide dog out in the Dakotas. But I want to prove to you that they are. But also, like, all the work that I do, you know, just, like, the little things, like the puppy culture, the mental stimulation, everything like that. Like, I just had an owner pick up their dog, their new puppy the other day, and I was like, well, you know, just so you know, this is, like, all the stuff I work on, like, grooming, introducing them to water at a week old. Um, I'm playing with their toes, their ears, their tails, because when you get that dog home and you have kids, kids are going to be pulling on the tails. They're going to be pulling on the ears. And I said, here, I'll show you. Hold this puppy and touch its toes, pull on its tail, its ears. And the puppy's just laying there like this, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I have a puppy at home that's 12 weeks, and I can't touch its toes, and I have to muzzle it. That's a problem to me. But I'm working on these puppies every single day, and that's my time. You know, I don't just sit there and play with puppies all day. That's not my job. You know, it's part of it, but that's not what I pay myself to do. You know, I'm working on all this stuff. You know, I'm using puzzle feeders and putting um, food in there so I can mentally stimulate these puppies to where they're working so I can give them a job at a young age. I like I like the idea of as far as, you know, your advice on how to find that right puppy, how to feed that puppy, how to get the puppy going. But what you said about the health testing has become so key of the future breedings of that dog. Um, And you mentioned, the reason I'm saying this is because you mentioned $500. You know, you hear a lot of the prices that puppies are sold at now out of Mm -hmm. these kennels. There's a reason why. And like you mentioned, you pay for what you get for. Obviously, you're still going to do your due diligence and your research. Mm -hmm. But 
I just I can't fathom the somebody saying, okay, I want a dog that's going to perform for the next twelve years or eleven years, you know, in and out of his or her prime. But I'm only going to go pay five hundred dollars at it, and that mindset goes right into what we talked about thirty minutes ago of. Duck hunters are notorious gear nuts, right? We're idiots when it comes to gear, more so than any other hunting. Mm -hmm. You know, like we spend the most money on guns and ammo and decoy spreads and trailers and four-wheelers and UTVs and licensing and leases and buying land and cropping, (laughs) you know, and farming it. Like we're nuts. We're like really like if you... If you want to ruin your life, you become a duck, duck hunter. hunter yeah. Like, it's crazy oh, yeah. that we do this. Literally, yeah. But then we'll go, well, I just don't want to spend $100 on a bag of dog food. That's crazy. It's going to last you for, you know, however long or, or feedings. They'll, or they'll say, though, I'll buy a $500 dog, but then I'll, I'll pay the trainer to, to, you know, I'll spend the money on the training. Well, that that might not work. No. You know, it doesn't go I hand might, in hand. I might call you and say, hey, you come, you know, I, your dog is not interested. I can't, you know, it, we've got to fail it. You, you know? get and what you pay it's, for. It's uh, it's tough. You know, it's, you know, don't, you, yeah, just like you're saying, if you don't cheap out on the gear, why would you cheap out on the dog? A, a coat, you're probably going to lose it or it's going to, zipper's going to break or something where a dog, you're going to have 16, hopefully 10 to 15, 16 years. Yeah. We get it all the time. Like, well, what's your price on a puppy? I'll tell them our price. Well, is that the lowest you'll take? It's like, this isn't Facebook marketplace. This isn't like an OBO price. You know, you have to realize how much time and effort and money I have into these dogs. Like if you're just looking for that basic house dog, then, and you don't want to spend the money of what I'm asking, then go somewhere else. That's fine. But I, I think these, so I just had two litters. I sent home. I had 16 puppies. I want to say, um, I had probably 50 people. I wouldn't say like blacklisted them and like red flagged them, but I would not sell them ever a puppy, you know, because of the questions they asked me like, um, or they're not asking about health testing. You're like, well, I don't care about health testing. Um, I'm not going to feed this. And they, they flat out tell me what they're going to feed their dog. Well, we get a discount because we have a Costco membership. So I'm going to feed it Kirkland. And I'm like, no, like Like, I don't care what you feed your dog, but when you're going to feed it, a low quality food that dog's not going to live very long or i don't believe in heartworm and flea and tick preventative well that's a that's a blacklist person for me you're not getting one of my puppies because these are my puppies until they're seven weeks old i care for them every single day multiple times a day but you know you're, we're building that relationship with our customer where i'm going to still talk to them for the next 14 to 16 years and then they're going to get another puppy from me you know because people do get multiple dogs from us but if you're telling me that you're not going to do this or what's my lowest price or i don't care about health testing um or i'm looking for like if the first thing that comes out of your mouth is i'm looking for a female because my buddy's got this good hunting dog and um it's a silver lab and i want to breed it and hopefully get a silver lab in the future that's a no for me you know do your research the biggest thing to like cheapen out is you know even by spending the extra money on you can noob or you know good dog food that can help you save money on future costs future vet costs yeah big time you know you're gonna, save, you're gonna save if you do the upward the the upfront work and the up upfront yeah, investment just, yeah just like it us. would be funny though if you said puppies twenty five hundred dollars obo yeah. Oh my gosh. Kind of a funny ad. People ask all the time, like, what's yeah. the lowest you'll couch. take? Yeah. It's not a couch. It's not a, it's not yeah, a, literally. And I will flat out say, I'm, like, I'm sorry, but this isn't Marketplace. This isn't yeah. Craigslist. Like, you what do, do you see do? puppies, though, are in front of the yeah. store for free. Yeah. yeah, all the time. And sometimes they're really great dogs, and that's awesome. But, you know, you, a, lot, a lot of people go through all that work for breeding the dog. They just want to keep a dog for themselves, and then they give the rest away, which is which is fine, but you know, you're we're not just, producing great puppies. We're just firm believers in health testing and gen- genetics and 
um, you know, just having that good quality bred dog where you know we don't have to run any hopefully don't have to run any problems well because wild acre kennels is backing our breedings you know i always tell people they pick up their puppy and they sign a contract you know in the event that you have to rehome this dog it does need to come back to us um just because you know i don't want them to rehome their puppy three years down the road because it bit their daughter in the face and then they never told the new owner about that and then someone's like well i got that dog from wild acre kennels and then they think we're breeding aggressive dogs you know this is we've worked really really hard especially andrew to get where we are and i want to keep it that way you know these are important to us we spend the time the money and the effort and we're interviewing customers like just because someone messages us like hey i want to buy a puppy i'm like yeah deposits x amount of dollars like that's great put you on the list it doesn't mean you're going to get a puppy like i don't have to sell you anything i don't have to make you a customer of mine you know i interview you i'm asking you like do you have any other pets what do you like to do um and i'm very particular because i work so hard on these puppies and i'm not just gonna sell them to someone because they want a dog that's just not how that brings it brings up a good question ray lynn is you go to these delta waterfowl or ducks unlimited banquets and they're doing the puppy i mean that's that's a good question of do they do they you know, make sure that the buyer that night, like a guy could be, you know, sitting there with his wife and or daughter, and she's like, "I really want that dog," or he might have, yeah. he might have a few whiskeys in him, you know, from the open mm-hmm. bar at the beginning of it. So, do they vet we, this owner before, you know, like that that auction's over, that money has yep. been sought after. The guys that were bidding That's on it, the girls that are bidding on it, they've been beat. Mm-hmm. This owner gets it. I wonder if it, I'm, I wonder yeah. how these these organizations make sure. That's of it. funny that you bring that up. So we're we're um in um ducks and and albert lee back at back kind of back at home um we're very very um supportive in that ducks unlimited or we try to be and you know we and i were like hey let's let's uh donate donate a puppy and well let's, they asked let's, us let's, to they asked us to do not donate a puppy and you know i was like yeah that would definitely you know be about it but then paranoid as, as raylan time, got involved as time <laughs> kind of went on a little bit me and raylan were talking it's like well that defeats our purpose like we don't know where this puppy's gonna go or we don't know what that home is or they might have had a couple of extra drinks in their hands um and um so we're, we we ended up we told them like hey we're not gonna donate a puppy we felt terrible but it was like we don't know where that dog's gonna go um we actually it's we have a dog in our account right now the dog's name is scout same thing he, he got he goes i got a little drunk at a pheasants forever banquet and got this puppy which the dog has a great home don't get me wrong they they love that dog getting it trained everything but um that was bought in with a most few, of the time they are a good coats. home but you know that like andrew said it defeats the purpose of where these dogs you know the work that i put into us to the whole breeding program like i can't just auction off this puppy because i don't know that person and over normally i would say nine times out of ten i have all of my like i take so many deposits and you know i usually do like seven to eight deposits and i have all of my puppies sold before they're born but i'm getting to know those customers over the length of that pregnancy you know or even before the pregnancy i have people my last litter that were on a wait list for over seven months to get a dog for me and over those seven months i really got to know that customer so you know you auction off this puppy and it's like i don't know you from adam you know i don't know you you could be the richest person in the world and super nice or you could just be here and um you have a animal cruelty charge against you and who knows like that just defeats the purpose just, of well, why i work so hard just well, i'm gonna go to a good home you still could do it though and vet them after and make sure of it yeah, there, yeah. There, there could be an exclusion put on there that you know in in after the research is done then the dog will be given or it goes to the next banquet right and or whatever yeah. and that's definitely something we're looking into we want to you know it's a good 
good thing where yeah there could be a great family at the du banquet you just for don't dog. know but yeah we're definitely gonna look into that there's got to be a way to to make it happen but um but yeah i just want to go just go difficult home. you know i mean then you're like i would totally do that but then i feel like you're kind of in a time crunch you know if the puppy's already seven to eight weeks old and that's when they go to their new home so it, it's, it's i don't tough, know there's a little gray area there so it's something we definitely should probably look into because it does get our name out there more. But people know we sell puppies anyways. When we go to these DU banquets, um, we auction off training there. So then they're like, oh, you breed labs too? And we advertise that all the time. And then usually they get to know us a little bit more. And then know, and then I get to know them too about, you know, like the customer, if they're going to be a potential customer. You can Uba hot seat short answers to end our conversation. With Andrew and Ray Lynn of Wild Acre Kennels, are you ready for the hot seat? Oh, boy. Yeah, don't put me in there. Best male dog name. Best male dog don't name. Don't repeat the question. You got to go. Um, Snoop. Snoop. Like the rapper? Snoop. Snoop Dog. <laughs> Snoop. Snoop is the best <laughs> male my, name. My, well, okay, Ray so, Lynn, best female name. Don't say that. Seven. Ugh. Seven? She yeah. wants to name our next dog Seven. Or Darby or what? No, what is? Well, I like Bindi, but Bindi. seven. I like Dolly. Dolly, that's pretty I like pretty Jolene. Tough. I want to be like when I'm releasing my dog seven. No. And then I have a, I have my first female there. now, and I name all my dogs after the Guns and Roses yeah. guys. And Izzy was the original guitarist of Guns and Roses, so my female is I Z Z Y, which is how is he, he? She's named after a guy, but she's still a girl. Right. <laughs> Izzy's a cool girl dog name. Really cool. It is yeah. cute. I like it. Yeah. Best time to feed a dog? Uh, depending on what you're doing, but nighttime. I, I, for sure, nighttime um, would be the best time to feed a dog. But otherwise, I twice a day, but you got to watch activity level. Where if you're running that dog five miles in the morning, then you want to feed at nighttime. Um, it all depends. But, but at nighttime, feed them, two-hour break, that you're plenty fine. Is it okay to have the dog in the cab of the truck, front seat or back seat, and not in a tied-down kennel or secure kennel in the back of the truck or a trailer? Me, secured kennel, and five-star crash-proof rated. Absolutely Me personally, we not. Spend, we spend a lot of money on crates, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's an investment. You know, by the time you buy the dog, pay for the training, you know, all that, plus it's your buddy, I want to be safe. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. There, a dog should not be free-roaming like in a vehicle. Like slash. Don't get me wrong. When I'm driving all the way 26 hours in the Reno, you know how bad I wanted Slash to be in the front seat with me because I'm bored. <laughs> um, but I just I can't can't get myself to do it because I'm like at any time you can be rear-ended. What if you're going 15 miles an hour on a dirt road scouting ducks? Go then then he can be in the truck with me. Even though he can still be an accident, I still let him hang out with me. I'm I, I'm a little bit soft on that. If I'm going slow, I'm the opposite. She'll still have an absolutely crate, but, not. But I'll have it in the like if I'm scouting a little bit, I will. I will put a dog in the front seat. I will admit I'm to paranoid that, about all of that stuff. Any vehicle and dog related stuff, like we like I get paranoid when we're running the dogs next to us on the side by side. Like that scares me because they could dart out in front of you. So no, that's absolutely yep. a no go for me. Mm-mm. Last question of the Yukonuba hot seat. If there is a divorce in a dog family, who gets the dog? Oh. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll never witness that. I mean, I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking about my good buddy Drake White song. Have you guys heard his song? Don't that you're not getting my dog? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you heard it? Yep. Yeah. It's a big question. They become so close to everybody in the family, 50/50 and of course custody. you don't. You don't yeah. want a fifty-fifty custody. 
Most I, th- I think because like, your guys' dogs are your kids right now. I don't oh, know yeah. if you'll ever have real kids. Yeah, but we your don't dogs know. are your kids. Um, the kind of the thing there is like right now with our dogs, we we would kind of know like Dubs would stay with me and Kai and Jaeger would go with her, and then obviously and, and obviously Slash would would stay with me. Um, we would have Slash to all. Is- but we would me. have to all split custody then. <laughs> yeah. Of Slash? Yeah. I no, mean, you're a crazy have to. dog mom. You would steal him. Yeah. I probably we would, would. We would have to put out an APB in yeah. Florida He's looking for you. He's my little buddy. She is a crazy dog mom. Yeah. I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, no. Hopefully we never have to figure out the problem. Joint custody for sure. <laughs> I guess I can't think of any more hot seat questions. I really do want to send a big shout out and thank you to you, Kanuba the entire crew i just got to go to the summit in tennessee a couple weeks ago amazing time got to learn a lot about the science and i want to get you guys more tied in with the internal infrastructure of yukonuba yes, please um because you guys have a lot of insight on this you have a lot of value that you bring to the table with your everyday experiences with your kennel your litters your puppies your starter dogs your finished dogs dogs like slash I, he's such a good looking dog Slash isn't for sale, though. Slash will never be for no, sale. No. I guess everything's for sale. For the right price. <laughs> no, we're not selling I used to say that until we sold the dog, and I was like, they're like racehorses and yeah. big white-tailed deer. Like, you get close to, like, I don't think I could ever sell Slash. But could you? But could I? No. Never. I don't know if I could sell Axel. But what if somebody comes along and they're like, here's a quarter of a million dollars for Axel. And he's seven years old. He's got four great years left in him he just turned seven so he's young dog he's about to be in his prime like he's in his prime really he's in his prime oh yeah so no axel's a good dog could you sell axel for a quarter of a million i don't think so because i don't think so but it also that money so easily like where where would you spend it though you could buy a house tomorrow for $250,000 and you just went through $250,000 and now you just lost your dog that could be alive for the next eight years. But you have a nice house for your next dog. No, but not you living could, in a trailer all anymore. A natural disaster could hit and you'd lose the house. And the dog might be in there. It all depends on where life you're at Life insurance or pet insurance. If, you're, if, you, if, you know, if you have a hard time getting through life, well, I would probably sell the dog. But if you're you know, living a good life and you're, you have a great job, then I'd probably keep the dog. All right. I could never sell any. He always says, I'm going to put you on let go for free 99. I'm like, you when would the, never sell Jaeger. You would never sell Kai. You would never sell Kai? Oh, no. If I made you an offer today, you wouldn't sell Kai to me. You'd have to fight me. Kai's a pretty special dog. I wouldn't be. I don't know if that would be a good thing. Kai, Kai That's is, my uh, like baby baby. Kai's a pretty special dog. Yeah, Tom, Tom, the camera guy. First thing he asked me when I walk in the door. First thing he's when he sees me. Tom, he didn't mean to call you a camera guy. Whatever, Tom. I can't say his last name. Rash Machine. Rash Machine. No, we can't say your last name. Um, what is it? Skluzacek? Skluzacek. Now I can't Skluzacek. Skluzacek. What is it? Skluzacek. 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 Yep. So Skluzacek. Skluzacek. Yeah. What in the freak is that? Like, is that? Check. Check. 100%. I think it's purebred. Purebred check. My mom's a Vlasak and my dad's a What kind of food do Czechs eat? Um, Not the we, greatest. Does have a, oh, a lot of fish died, I my assume. My mom, uh, we got you fresh um, sauerkraut that's homemade from my parents. You brought it this trip? It. I didn't know if you like sauerkraut. Oh, I love sauerkraut. It's um, really good. But yeah, first thing Tom asked me, he goes, did you bring Kai? He didn't even say hi to me yet. Did you bring Kai? And I was like, no, I brought Slash. Oh, I really like Kai. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get Tom a dog. Yeah. Well, we're going to breed Kai. All right, that is Andrew. 
And Ray Lynn. Sklazacek. Yep. Yes. Sklazacek. Wild Acre Kennels. Check them out. WildacreKennels.com. Correct. Yep. Is there an S on kennels? Yes. yes. They got great merch. Support them. They're kicking butt in Minnesota. I don't know if there's anything else good in Minnesota. There is. There's walleye. There's yellow perch. It's good duck hunting. Really good goose hunting around Rochester. Turkey hunting's going to... We have... Turkey hunting's going to be... We're, I think we're going to be a good state here pretty soon. It's going to be a stellar there's season for that. everywhere. Every which direction you I'll look. look for my invite in the mail. Mm-hmm. They also have Reeds up there. Reeds is a great Benelli dealer, banded dealer. We'll probably be visiting the Reeds. Boys and girls, again, pretty soon. That's Yukonuba Duck Dogs right here at the Fowley Podcast. Chad Belding, Andrew, Ray Lynn, Wild Acre Kennels. Thank you all so much. Thank you to Yukonuba, the science, the biology, the research, everything that's going in to maintaining. They don't have to do this for us. I promise you they're a big enough company to where if they wanted to make anything go away, they could. And they choose Yukonuba because of the passion behind it. They want to keep it out there. We're growing it like crazy. It's so good to see all of these dogs, every breed of dog, on the Yukonuba diet. And we're adding more and more dogs every day. That's our goal through evidence. We have the evidence, and we want you to see it. Thank you all for listening. Again, wildacrekennels.com. Get some merch. Get a hoodie. Get a T-shirt. Get a hat. Get your dog in training if you're in the Minnesota area, maybe eastern North Dakota. I don't care where you're at. Send your dog out to Wild Acre Kennels. Andrew and Raylan will take care of it. Chad Belding, The Foul Life. This song right here is called My Foul Life by the great band 2AM Logic. <laughs>